The scripture is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they, are see, they see your good works and deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Really? Well, good morning again. Um, if I don't know you, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor teaching pastor here for Redemption uh, Peoria. Um, I just have one quick announcement. Uh, uh, to give you, and normally at this time, we would go into who redemption is and all that, but um, I'll explain why we're not, and we're going to save a lot of that for the end. Um, if you are new, and this may just kind of, just throwing this out here right away, um, but if you've been coming, you've heard this announcement already, because um, I only have one of them. Uh, there's an adoption orientation, foster care and adoption orientation that we are um, a part of on the 30th of August, which is at the, obviously the, the end of this month at 6.30 at Access Church. I'm going to come back to this announcement, but I want it to be there in the forefront of your mind just to be aware of. Um, and, and what I said when I made this announcement before is to, to recognize we're not like giving away kids that day. It's just something that if you have questions about who, who, um, well, I didn't think that joke would play again. It was apparently funny twice. Um, all right, we can do that. I'll read jokes all day. Um, no, we, uh, we, we just, if you're kind of like, Hey, I don't know I, what part could I play, right? Maybe you're single or you don't know, like you have no idea. This is just an orientation to, to kind of put in front of you how this whole thing looks and, and where we are as a state and all that. So just be aware of that. Um, let's jump into our, our text. You're in first Peter. I'm going to read uh, from Exodus 19. Um, if you are new, know that we're in the book of Acts currently right now. We're taking a two week break. So if you're new, this is a great time to, to be a part of uh, uh, this service and next week because we're taking a two week break to talk about who we are as Redemption Peoria and where we're going. And, and it's been, if you're not aware, a pretty up and down year for us. So um, I know as elders, we're excited to, to lay this stuff out in front of you guys. And the first part that I'm going to do is I'm going to give an apologetic for this moment. I'm going to give an apologetic for us as a gathering body for the church. And then the back half, the last 15 or 20 minutes or so, um, I'm going to spend talking about uh, our specific vision and mission at Redemption Peoria, where we are, where we're going, all that stuff. Now, you're, like I said, you're in First Peter. Let me read something to you from Exodus 19. It's the passage I read last week when we were in uh, the book of Acts. It says this, the Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings, right? So this is after the, the Israelites have been removed from Egypt. God by a mighty hand has done this. He himself is doing it. He's taking the glory for it, rightfully so. Verse five, now therefore, in response to what I've done, uh, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be, uh, yeah, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words uh, that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He tells Moses that. Now, that last part, as you hear this, uh, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Most likely, if Shirley came up and read, that sounds familiar, right? The idea is that as we hear those words, they're not new, okay? The, 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 what we need to understand in going into our passage today is these are words that are very um, recollatory. Can I make up a word real quick? They, that, that people can recall as they hear this. Now, here's why that's important. We're going to read out of the book of 1 Peter, and we're only going to really um, hone in on a couple of verses. Now, 1 Peter is written by a guy named Peter that we were introduced to in Acts, and we know his story because we read through it in Acts, but predominantly we know his calling as well because we recognize as, as Paul's coming on the scene, Paul and Peter are making these declarations that Paul's been called to the Gentiles, but Peter's been called to the Jews. And as Peter writes this letter to the, the churches, it's to, to men and women who are spread out, this dispersion, whether persecution or whatever it is, and as they're spread out, these are Jews who are now Christians. They, they would hear the words that surely came up and read. They would hear the words in First Peter, and they would begin to associate them in, in, in a different way. It would be very similar for, for us because we're not as religious as a culture. We're far more nat- uh, uh, nationalists. We would hear, if I go, now that you're a Christian, you're part of the few, the proud, the Christian, right? You would go, wait a minute, I know that language, I, the few, the proud, the Marines, I know that language, and you're associating it to Christianity. Now, that's how the Jews would hear this. They're a religious people, and they go, wait a minute, when you use words like, again in Exodus 19, kingdom of priests, holy nation, as we read, we read a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation in First Peter. Peter's doing this intentionally to recall to, to, to have the, the Jews who are now Christians go, think of the paradigm in the Old Testament that you're used to as a people, and now I'm telling you there's something you need to connect the dots here with, okay? And it all starts for their heritage is to understand they are not coming from the same paradigm as we are. This is important, okay? This is where we're going to get into our text. We come from a platonic, western, individualistic, short-viewed culture. Like, we don't, we don't remember our history well. We think it's about us. We're post-enlightenment, all these different things. And that's not true for the Jews, Matter of fact, that's not true for a majority part of the world who views themselves as a collective people. So when they hear royal priesthood, holy nation, people for their own possession, they are already thinking collectively, which is huge because the first two words that we get into in our passage are but you. Now, um, I've tried to do my best to explain every time we come across to you, 95% of the time in the New Testament, it is not individual. It's not a singular you. It's a plural you. And that is true here, right? And we can do all the jokes. It's yous, you're all, y'all, whatever you want to say. It's a plural you. Now we're coming into a text kind of um, halfway. We're in chapter two. So I, I need to provide some context, but before I do, I need you to understand this is to a people group who understand themselves as a people group. So when you read those two simple words, those two, two simple words, but you, it's huge because it's coming off the cusp of him saying something. So I'm going to get into some of the context here of him going, there are people who don't want to associate with the Christianity that you now, now have. They've rejected Jesus as the cornerstone, but that's not you. But you have all these promises, but you, there's something else there. And I don't want to just, rem, you know, like I want to recognize we, we got a lot of text to cover, but I don't want us just to bypass that. Because I don't think we allow it to sink in. When we hear this, you, the Bible is always over and over and over, not just pointing out you as an individual, you in your room reading your Bible and it's going, you, it's talking to me. 95% of these yous are plural. Over and over and over again, it's trying to remind us that we are in this together. Tim Keller um, talks about um, 
how uh, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who was a preacher in, back in the day, there was a, a moment where um, technology was advancing and, and eventually they figured out how to record sermons, right? And he was asked if he would want his sermons recorded. And he really struggled with this idea because he didn't understand why people would want a lesser reality, why people today, right, would want to be driving in their cars or in their offices listening to podcasts. And, and the way that he this, described this is he said that the sermon in his response said the sermon is not just a product that you get content download, it's participation, And that's not arrogance for him to go, look, I'm standing up here and it's that big of a deal. His point is, as we sit down together, as we listen to God's word together, as we worship together, I mean, do you hear the song we sang? That together we've become a talent show? I know you've done that. I've done that this week. And together we are are declaring before God there's something more than just content download. That you is a loaded you. Keller talks about something that in these moments with us together, we are part of a communal loop. I hear you sing. You hear me sing. We listen to the word, not just because I'm preaching it, but man, we hear it. And myself, I sit under it. And, and we declare ourselves to say, man, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to uh, uh, be subject to. That, that's what I want to be a slave to in Christ. That, that's who I am. Together, we are part of a communal loop. This you is not just a you that we can go, eh. To, to prove it to you, um, the context, again, early part of Peter. Let me read something to you in uh, the, the beginning part of chapter 2. Um, it's verses 4 or five, four and 5. Now, um, we're picking it up in verse 9, but here's the context of what he's saying so you can hear this you as a loaded you. As you, again plural, come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now hear me, you gotta hear this as a Jew you got to hear this. Peter is talking to people with the past. When they hear spiritual house, this is a big deal. You may not hear it as a big deal, but listen to what he just declared. He said, in the Old Testament, God used to, to find himself in tabernacles. God used to find himself in temples. He used to dwell there. Sacrifices were made there. That was the paradigm you knew before. But what I'm telling you now is, you're a brick, and you're a brick, and you're a brick. And together, we as bricks make a spiritual house. We together come together and we are where God dwells. That's crazy. To the Jews, this is crazy. I mean, man, for us, for any moment to think we can do this as individuals, we really begin to push and butt up against what the Bible is really driving us towards. No one looks at this wall and goes, man, about 15 down, 11 to, to the left. You see that brick? What an amazing brick. You see that? That's just an amazing brick. No, we look at the wall, we look at old churches, we look at big buildings, and we go, wow, look at that building together. And in the same way, we don't look at a brick on the ground and go, that's one amazing building. No. And this is what Peter's pushing us towards, that together we make up God's spiritual house. Whether we're at Centennial, uh, Peoria Performing Arts Center, it does not matter because we're just gathering there because you and I are bricks together. We are part of God declaring himself, God dwelling amongst us. This is a huge paradigm for them. Now this plural you, we've only spent time on two words. I get it, we got a lot to cover. Um, Continues to trickle through all the descriptions as he describes you and I. As he describes who are now, people who are now Christians, listen to, to these words as they're all continued to be plural. 
Uh, Listen, he says, you are a chosen race. A race is not just an individual. You are a priesthood, a group of people, a holy nation, right? Uh, Multiple groups of people make up this nation, a people, not a person for my own possession. So he continues to press into this. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a moment because those ideas actually drive um, our vision, our mission. These things actually point us in the direction of what it means to be a plural you together. Okay, so let's let's go through each one of those. Um, as, as these Jews are reading this again, hear, hear this. This is important. You've got to try to be in the context. They're hearing this and understanding Levitical law, understanding the story of Egypt, understanding Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They're understanding their story. And, and Peter's trying to tell them their story as the people of God is now different. You have to see their story through the lens of Jesus. And through the lens of Jesus, these people are, the first one is, they are a chosen race. The word is uh, the same word where we get Genesis from or like gynecology from. It's, it's origins. It's, it's this idea that um, where we as a people, my wife have, has given birth to Myers's, okay? Uh, that, that, that as we as a family grow, and now we are, are not just thinking of, for the Jews, they're not just thinking we now are part of Judaism, but now as, as Christians, all of us, Jew, Samaritan, uh, uh, slave, free, McGregor, Mayweather, it doesn't matter, all of us fall under this paradigm to go, hey, at the end of the day, we together are, and I quote, a chosen, a chosen race. Now, um, if I can, just real quickly, um, this is why two weeks ago, I, I got really upset with what I was reading in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. Now I was saddened by people who, um, who are non-believers who are doing this, right? Like I, I, but, but to the unregenerate heart, and if you're not a Christian in here, I'm not saying you have to be racist, but, but, but at the end of the day, I, I, I'm not going to put it past someone who does not have a regenerated heart to think they're better than anyone else, right? And, and that saddened me. But what made me angry was the people who were there trying to pocket their supremacy in the Bible. That's what made me angry because that's actually not possible. And it's verses like this that the Jews go, wait a minute, together, black, white, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. We now together are one race. And they're going to get some prophecies in, in uh, Revelation 9, 7, or 7, 9, where all the nations, the tongues, the peoples, the colors, we're all going to sing together. So together for the Jews, they need to understand this is all inclusive. It doesn't matter your background. You're coming here today. You hear that? It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter. You're here today. God together has brought us together. And, 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 and in that, we need to understand we together are a kingdom people. We are, as the kingdom people, a different race. That's crazy stuff. But we're not done. Listen to this. After this, a chosen race. We then are a royal priesthood. Again, understand the context. If you don't know what a priest is, a priest is someone in the Old Testament, which in the New Testament, it's only mentioned twice, uh, the, the word priesthood, and both are in First Peter and, and if you know the Old Testament, it's just melee with this term priest. A priest is someone who goes to God on behalf of Israel, on behalf of people. It's the most simple form. It goes to God and it begins to pray to God for people. It begins to pray to God even for their own sins. They are making petitions. And now the Jews understand that, that the priests are the, the, the upper echelon. The priests are the elect of the elect. It's only people. If you try to roll into the tabernacle, you try to roll into the temple on your own, you would literally die because of how holy God is. And in this moment, this declaration to Peter's, you need to quit thinking of upper echelons. You need to quit thinking of the best of the best because hear this, we together, it does not matter your race. It does not matter your gender. It doesn't no matter how long you've known Jesus Christ. Hear this, if you are a Christian, together we are priests. Now the reason this um, 
can be problematic as I bring it up is because ultimately, if you're a Christian, you, you kind of came into a faith that this was already assumed. Like we talk about talking to Jesus like he's a friend. We could just have a conversation with him, which is true, right? But we don't fully understand what the Jews understand, that there's not, he's not just your homeboy, but there's something more there. And, and, and for the Jews, they go, wait a minute, there's a reverence, there's a, a holiness And Hebrews 4 would say that Jesus, as our high priest now, we can come boldly to the throne. And so so this is important. Hear me. I think you already know you can go to Jesus. You can go to God. Because you are part of the priesthood, you don't need that intermediate. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ as our high priest, you can enter in and talk to God directly. Now, that would be a game changer alone, but that's only the beginning, man. Not only that, you as a priest can go to God for me. That together, as they hear this, they go, wait a minute. Uh, the priest doesn't just walk in and offer sacrifice for himself. A priest also offers sacrifices and prays for the people. That together, I can go, man, I, I pray for Lance together. I, I, I pray for Vince together. I, I, I pray for Melissa together. I, I, I pray for Diana. And I'm together continuing to lift up each other in prayer. But that's only the half of it. A priest not only can go to God on behalf of themselves, not only lift up the community, but according to Jeremiah 29, that we can go to the Lord to, to, on behalf of our city. We can go to the Lord and pray for us. Look at Peoria, Glendale, Sun City, Avondale, wherever you are, wherever you live, in Phoenix, it doesn't matter. You can pray for your city. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. When they hear priesthood, you can go to God on behalf of others. Let's keep going. The third one, and this is where we need to spend the most of our time and start to to wrap some of this up. We're not even through one verse yet. Welcome to Redemption Peoria. Um, (laughs) Lastly, um, so we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. This one's tricky, but I think think if we can understand this one, this one's going to set the trajectory for the rest of our time together. Um, when you see that word nation, um, it's the word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicity from, which you would think actually would be associated with what we saw before with the word race, but it's not. It's nation. And this is, um, this is tricky because, again, we're putting ourselves in the context as Peter's trying to change the paradigm of the Jews. Here's what you need to understand how this works. Um, even today, when we say there is a Jew, and we're not in a derogatory t- uh, uh, term at all, but when we say there is a Jew, we even still, and, and more so even in our context, would understand a Jew as not just religious, but we'd also understand them as ethnically a Jew. Even though there's not like a Jewish nation, we would, de- we would define it as Israel, but, but, but they are Israelites in that sense, we still think of a Jew as a, a Jew by religion, but also in a lot of ways by race. It's a, it's a weird deal. Now, this is important, okay? Because when they hear this, that they now are a holy nation, here's what you've got to understand. Let's talk race for a second. That's always super comfortable for everyone, okay? Um, I'm not bringing this up. about This has nothing to do with Black Lives Matters, Blue Lives Matters, nothing to do with it. This is just cultural observations. This is what we can understand about societies. They're facts to understand uh, people groups. That's all it is, okay? Um, if you go to Nigeria and you roll into Nigeria, if you roll into China, if you roll into Romania, Canada, wherever you are, whatever country, whatever state, whatever city, there is always, always a majority culture. Okay, so if you go to Nigeria, Kenneth and I have a lot of uh, Nigerian friends, right? And I got to go to Ghana, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And, and when, I, when I entered there, I was not part of the majority culture. Meaning in Nigeria, if you go to Nigeria, um, the predominant culture when we think of ethnos is Nigerian black men or women. Okay, Nigerian black men or women. That, that's, that's the dominant culture. Now here's what you need to understand. Even in Nigeria, everywhere you are, there are subcultures. Meaning, in Nigeria, there can be a Nigerian 
white male or female, meaning they were born in Nigeria, maybe parents missionaries or they got jobs there, whatever it is. They're, they are Nigerian, but they are white, okay? Or you can have absolutely a black man who's in Nigeria, but he's American. So, so what you need to understand is the dominant culture, the, 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 the ultimate culture, the majority culture, every single society has it. So if we go to America, what we can understand about a majority culture, again, don't be uncomfortable. It's not worse. It's not better. It just is what it is. The majority culture in America is American white, okay? And it's not bad. It's not good. I'm American white, okay? So I'm feeling good about it, okay? So, so here we are. Now, here's what you need to understand. Again, Every single country, state, city has a majority culture, but also every country, state, and city has subcultures. Now, the reason this is important is because somebody can be American and they can be white and they're part of the majority culture, but they can also be Romanian and they can be white, European descent, or they can also be American and they can be black. Now, what you need to understand is because there's different ways to to even get in other ways to understand majority culture, this is an oversimplification, those subcultures together have something that um, what W.E.B. Du Bois talks about, a double consciousness. They understand the world. So if you are a person of color in here or you're Romanian, which I know like three-fifths of our congregation is Romanian, unbelievable, um, okay? So, so if you're Romanian or, or you're a different at this, you know what I mean when I, when, well, I didn't make it up. W.E.D. Uh, du Bois talks about this double consciousness. You know what it means to operate as a subculture, but you also know what it means to operate in majority culture. Meaning, if you've ever been to a Nigerian wedding, it ain't like American weddings at all. You show up four hours late, and you're still, still early, okay? So, so the, the idea uh, of understanding, so if you are a person of color, you know what this double consciousness means. You, you know what I'm talking about, that the way that you understand your own culture, the way that, that, that your parents raise you is a little bit different than the majority culture. So you learn to walk in double consciousness, and it's not bad, it's not good, it's just a reality, okay? Now, here's why this is a big deal. The Jews are hearing this, and as they hear this, they know they are not the majority culture. The Jews are coming onto the scene. They understand they're under, even in this moment, Roman law, and they are a subculture. Now, you've got to let this sink in because it would be easy for the the Jews to hear, yeah, we're a holy nation. We're a subculture. But it's really hard for someone like myself, who's grown up in majority culture, to understand that the holiness, the holy part of that nation, makes Christianity a subculture. You need to understand that. And if you think that the majority of our culture is still Christian, you're 25 years behind, man. That we live in a context, we live in a a culture, in the state of Arizona, in our own country, but even in our local cities, that here we sit, we have to reorient our mind that the holiness, the holy part of us being a nation, makes us a subculture. And none of you go to work who, who work in the majority culture, right? And you know what some of this double consciousness looks like. You don't go to work and, and you, your boss, who's, who's just a pervert, goes in like, look at her, right? You don't look at him and go, bat your eyes, protect your heart, man. Protect your heart, bro, right? You don't just remind him, man, beat your body daily, 1 Corinthians 9, right? Because that doesn't make sense. You don't use word like missional and then evangelism. You don't like, let, let's just open the word for, real quick. But, but, but hear me, you, you think through, that was a good, I appreciate that laugh. That was good, wasn't it? Um, but, but hear me, in our context, right, if you're in a community group or on Sunday, we use almost completely different language. 
Why? Because we're a subculture. We know how to operate in a double consciousness. We know how to operate as our own culture here, but we recognize there's a completely different culture that we're operating in. Now, for us to understand a subculture, here's what minority culture subcultures get that if you've been born and raised in a majority culture, you don't get. There is a cohesiveness that is a have to. There, there, there is something, as, as you recognize, when you see someone, whether, and I've seen this in spades when I'm growing up around predominantly Hispanic and black people, that there is a togetherness amongst minority culture. There is a, we're in this together that we may not completely understand in majority culture. And if we could understand this, the Mennonites, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, they would all understand they need each other. And everyone would understand they need the reformers because that's just fact, Okay. So, so, so as we understand majority culture and we understand subcultures, in understanding this, the Jews already are thinking of themselves as a people that stick together, that we live in majority culture, but we are a subculture. And what makes us a subculture is the holiness in our nation, that we as a kingdom people do not live and operate as majority culture, but we are a subculture. We are a holy nation. You tracking with me on that? Okay, again, we're done talking about race. So you can like breathe, okay? It has nothing to do with, I'm not trying to get into any of the race stuff. My, my point is just understanding cultural evaluation in this text. But this is going to drive us because here, what he says next um, in this, uh, we're, still, we're still in verse nine, okay? It says this. Um, there, there's some, there's some uh, purposes in all of this because as we understand this text, this is what makes us a people for his own possession. And then there are um, some implications to this. So hear this. So now as a holy nation, right? Now, now as, as this chosen race, a people for his own possession, this, this priesthood together, we together, together, you, the you is plural, together, were to do something. Together, that you, again plural, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you um, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's uh, people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The first thing that we as a collective people, a plural you, the first thing we need to absolutely understand is together we proclaim it. And not in an arrogant way, but we believe our subculture is what is best for majority culture coming to sexuality, coming in gender, gender identity, coming to the way that we, we view money, coming to the way that we view family. We ultimately believe that our subculture, our, the holiness in our nation, is what is best for the majority culture. We believe that. And that's not arrogant. Hear me, man. I, I grew up in poverty, and I remember at one point my dad and I, for a couple months, were living in a, um, th- this, apartment that, this apartment that was just filled with roaches, so many roaches. And I would take Raid every morning and I would spray the house with Raid, but I would also open the cabinets and I would spray where our, our dishes were so, so that the, the roaches wouldn't crawl on them, right? And then I'd eat off those dishes, okay? Now you're already going, dear Lord, you're still alive. But, but I remember a friend came over, wasn't even an adult, and, and he goes, dude, you can't do that. Like you're gonna die. Now it wasn't arrogant for him to come on the scene and proclaim and tell me, I know you think that's the right way to live, but it's actually not. You're killing yourself. That's not arrogance. In love, we proclaim the fact that God has done something within us, which is huge, right? Because most of us aren't together throughout the week. So as individuals, we together are telling a corporate story that I'm going, listen, I know Jesus has done something within me because it just hasn't happened with with me. There are 20 other people in my community group that meet at my house on Monday night that Jesus did something within them. 
That together we're telling a collective story that Jesus and his kingdom as a subculture has a better way to live. That's not arrogance, but we proclaim it. We tell people about it, but we don't just proclaim it. Hear this, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles, just stop. Do you hear that? You hear that? I want you to hear that. As soldiers and exiles, you know what a soldier and an exile is, right? Like you're somebody who, who you may be American, but this is not your home. Like, like, like you're here right now. You, you may be in the state of Arizona, but this is not your home. You are in exile. Like, like you're a wanderer. You're, 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 you're somebody who now views uh, um, this majority culture and goes, that's not the age in which I live. I live for a, a different kingdom. So that's you. It's a big, but soldiers and exiles, I wish I could spend more time on that. We're to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. What, right? Which the majority culture would say is silly. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Let's listen to some of these words. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The two words I want you to hear is, as a subculture, as a holy nation, we live amongst, we live uh, uh, among majority culture who does not view holiness the way that we view holiness. But hear me, we do it in such a way, we abstain from certain things in such a way that people, listen to the word, may see it as well. That we don't just proclaim how good God is, but we live out our kingdom values. We believe as a subculture that, our, that the values in which we hold biblically in our kingdom are not just different and not just better, but they are right. And that people would see those things and they would go, wow, what is so different? And I know it sounds cheesy, man, but this is what Peter's putting in front of us, that people would look at you and go, there's something different, and they would, they would ultimately glorify God who's in heaven with it. Now, um, Ray Ortland says this, the only answer to one culture is another culture. I don't have this on the screen. I apologize. The, the, the only answer to one culture is another culture. Not just a concept, but a counterculture. A church should offer the world such a counterculture, a living embodiment of the gospel. And I think that sums up what we are. That together, we are loved by God, accepted by God, his own possession. But together, we are as individuals living out the same story. That corporately, we gather together and remind ourselves of this story. So what does this mean? What what is all this I'm saying? I'm telling you that I believe with all of my heart, what I just described to you is the church. Is the church. I've given my life to her. I believe that the church is God's grace to this earth. The story we've read in Acts is not by accident, but he has gathered a people together to do this. And this is what we know as the church. And man, the church has messed up in a lot, a lot of ways. But hear me when I say this, there is no plan B. You going rogue ninja is not the answer. You thinking you can do this on your own is not the answer. The church is the holy, the, the holy nation. The church is what makes up this priesthood. It's the church. So what do we do with this? And this is where we get into to specifically with Peoria. How do we understand this doctrine of the church and who we are? And what does this mean for us going forward? Now, for me to describe this uh, and, and kind of give you some patterns, I want you to know um, that I'm going to start with some things that uh, kind of three different ways to describe this. I first want you to share in light of what we read here in 1 Peter, um, that we have a mentality. 
okay? And in I need you to understand that mentality. Specifically, now we're going into Redemption Peoria. What is our mentality? Because from there, it's what we do, and it's how we do it. And that's all I want to give you this morning. And my hope is that you would hear some of these things, and if us as elders have got this right, you as a congregation would go, oh, I totally see that. So, so what is our mentality in light of First Peter? If we believe together we're a holy nation, well, what does all this look like? Like, how do we operate? Well, well, what things drive us? And we sat down and asked one very simple question. And it may be overly simple, but we feel like it's the question that should drive us over and over and over and over again. And it's this question, who does God want us to be, man? Not the man, just who does God want us to be? Who does God want us to be? And it's a good question because check this out. There are a lot of churches in the West Valley doing unreal things, man. Churches of 20 opening coffee shops, churches of 100 opening up venues, and all these churches we believe are, are, are ultimately operating in how God wants them to operate. It's not, it's not better, it's not worse, it's not more successful, it's not less successful. They are ultimately a big parts of what the church is. So you have CCV and Palm Valley and Axiom, you have Life Givers Church. You have Missio de Peoria, who, who God is using, and they're operating in really, really awesome ways. And so we have to ask the question, amongst all of that and what God is doing, God, where are you putting us? Who do you want us to be? And the language we've tried to use is, what is our mantle? Now, if you're not charismatic, that may be a little weird for you. But a mantle is a role of responsibility that is given from one person to another. As a church, Redemption Peoria, in light of 1 Peter, what is our mantle? Who is God calling us to be. And we honed in on three things. And you need to understand there might be more, but we feel like as elders, these three things are for sure. And when I lay these three things out, you need to understand that as we go through them, they all connect together. So track with me till the end. And again, I hope that each one you go, yeah, I can totally see that. I already assumed that. The first one is, there seems to be no question that um, our mantle, that one of the mantles that God has given us is that we're to be a large church. Now, we don't know what that means. We have no idea. And maybe you're going, oh, I don't like that. But at the end of the day, we feel like, man, going um, and looking at all my buddies who are church planners here in the West Valley for whatever reason, and it's, again, it's not more successful, it's not less successful, for whatever reason, God has chosen to grow Redemption Peoria from 60 people to 702 and a half years. And, and, and I need, here's a moment of candidness from Sean. I need you to understand, maybe some of you don't like to hear that, I can totally understand what you mean. If you're not aware, for the first five months of the year, I was put on a leave of absence. And when I say put on a leave of absence, it was not my choice. Uh, us as elders, man, we went back and forth. And um, when it all came down to it, I was really the problem. And, and there were uh, different peripheral issues. But the main issue, you want to know what really came to, because I'm still asked this to this day. Well, did you really sleep with someone? Did you really, like, steal any money? God, no, I didn't, okay? I'm like, I wouldn't be up here if I did. Um, so, so, so at, at the end of the day, what really caused tension was that the elders um, were before God. When I say that the other elders, Vincent uh, Clark, uh, John Demeter, and Jim Ellis, were already honed into what God was doing before I was. And they had already accepted this mantle from the Lord, but I hadn't. And I pushed and I pushed because for me, I never wanted to be a church of 700. That was never in the cards for us, at least for me. And, 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 you know, as churches grow, you always have people who go, well, I don't really like the fact that the church is growing. I feel like I'm going to the peripherals. Well, imagine the lead pastor feeling that. And so, man, we, we, we went at it again and again. And at the end of the day, as God began to soften my heart, there was just going, man, this isn't less successful. It's not worse. It's not better. It's just something that I have to acknowledge that God has given us a mantle as. 
So, so what does that mean, like a large church? Like we, we got to lay this out, right? Because does that mean like we want to meet in an auditorium of 30,000 people? What does that mean? For us to understand that, I want to go through all three mantles, okay? Defining so we can understand a little bit better of what a large church is. The second thing, the second mantle that we feel like God has given us is we feel like God has called us to be nomads. So we are a large church that is nomadic. I wrote the, the, the term, uh, the definition of nomad so you can um, understand it. A nomad is a member of a community of people who live in different locations, moving from one place to another. So if you've been with Redemption Peoria long enough, you know we started in a theater. We went to Centennial. We went to Roach City at Piseo Verde. We came back to uh, Centennial. We've been moving, right? And I'm, my hope is when I say that God has called us to be nomads, you're already going, yeah, that, that's obvious. And so, so what does it mean when we think of being a large church and nomadic, right? Um, here's what I want to put in front of you. As of right now, we're not going to pursue a big building. I need you to, just to know that. For clarity's sake, we, we don't have in the cards currently to go, we need to find some big facility to house us. We feel like God wants us to be present in the community in different ways, and to, to not be comfortable in, in this way. So if you can kind of think of it like a, um, like a shotgun instead of a rifle. So, so a shotgun sprays the BBs, right? And it, and it goes into a bunch of different places where a rifle is honing in all the power in one moment. We don't feel like we're to be in one exact place at one exact time with a large body of people. We feel like nomadically we are to be wanderers. We are to be in the city. Uh, we're, we're to be in homes. And this is big because if you've been with Redemption Peoria long enough, you know no one has been able to say to anyone else, yeah, I'll see you at the church later. We haven't been able to do that. We've had to rely on living rooms. We've had to rely on theaters. We've had to rely on performing arts centers. I mean, even my daughter, every single day we drive by Grand, she looks at Pure Performing Arts Center and she goes, the church, right? She's associating the church as that. And this is big because all these mantles, as I lay them out, you need, if you're thinking Sunday morning, it's going to be hard for you to get your mind around. You're missing it. When I say that we're going to be a large church and you're thinking Sunday morning, you're missing it. When I say we're going to be nomadic and you're thinking Sunday morning, you're missing it. There's more to this. So what does it mean to be a a large church? What responsibilities are in that? And what does it mean to be nomadic while we do that? Well, it gets to our last one. We feel like the last mantle that God has given us is that we are called to be givers. And let me define that very quickly. When I say givers, I mean that God has called us to be givers in being outward focused in more than half of the money that we have. So our goal would be, I don't, I don't want to give a percentage, but more than 50% of all that we spend, when we look at our pie, pie chart, we want 50% or more to be outward focused in nature. So this gets tricky, right? Because now we've got, got to get creative. Okay, this is where I get super excited because I'm like a mission and vision dude. So let's get this in right now, okay? Um, here's, here's, here's what I want to put in front of you. As we get creative, what does it mean? that God makes us a large church? What does it mean that God wants us to be nomadic and that now ultimately God wants us to be givers? I mean, give sacrificially. What if we didn't meet in just one big place, but what if we found other ways to be present in the community? What if we opened coffee shops? What if we opened learning centers? What if in Sun City we opened food banks? What if in downtown Peoria we opened gymnasiums? And maybe those facilities are multi-use, right? But for first and foremost, they're outward nature and that they are for the city first. That what if as we grow, we don't just shoot a rifle, but like a shotgun, we spread out and we go, we are present in all different places. That we have multi-use facilities that RCs can use. 
I mean, even now, I love this, that God is continuing to affirm this, that Jim Ellis has worked insanely hard uh, working with Huntington University. That's on, uh, at, at P83. And is, um, what's amazing about this is that's ultimately where we're going to office out of. But, but the whole nature of that, as Jim is beginning to correspond with the dean of students there, is he's going, well, maybe, just maybe, you can kind of be a light. And if people want to talk to you about God, that would be great. That even the offices we have are in a context that we can have. God did that. We didn't do that. That, that we're in a context where ultimately people can rally around and hear us. And we're in the city in such a way, yeah, that's where we office. But Huntington University isn't redemption. Redemption, Peoria, is in Huntington University for the sake of being on mission there. For, for us also to office there, what if you have ideas? What if you, like an entrepreneur spirit, say, like, this is how I think we should be present in the community? So, so this is huge, right? Because as we are a large church, you can't think Sunday mornings, and us being nomadic, we want to be all throughout the West Valley in different ways, in all kinds of different ways. So I don't know if immediately you're going, yes, that's it. I wrote a, a line about this, so... so you can um, understand my heart because I want to be able to um, say this clearly. Um, uh, being, this is the last one, being as givers, this is just my own, what I said, but I want to make sure it's clear. Being givers in outward focus in everything that we do, this makes us and continues to put us in a place that we are continuously going for the goal to stay small as a large church while being nomadic. That we want to stay small in being a large church. We want to be in different places in being a large church. We want to be present in the community in different ways in being a large church. And I hope you're behind that, that you would know Redemption Peoria is, is uh, trying to approach this church thing differently. Okay, so um, that's our mentality. That's, what, that's what's driving us um, in light of First Peter. What are we doing? Now, um, the elders, uh, us four, we, we sat down for two separate Mondays all day long, and I'm not a dude who writes down. Like, I'm, the, I'm a guy who's like, all right, here's what we should do, and let's go, right? And everyone's like, well, what are we doing? I'm like, we're going. That's what we're doing, right? And John Demeter, um, uh, one of the elders, uh, he, he led those two times, and he's really good at what I'm not in that area. And he, he was able to, to hone us in and go, well, Sean, you, you suck at writing down vision statements and mission statements. So, so what is it? And they ask, like, well, what, what do you see us doing? So we worked on language. And so I want to share with you, ultimately, in light of First Peter and our three mantles, what we feel like our big mission is. Here's our mission. Um, I, I hope, again, it resonates with you. Our mission is that the kingdom of God would come. And I think I have this on the screen, but I want to stop. That the, that the kingdom of God uh, would come. I want, want you to understand. We believe at Redemption Pure and Redemption Church that the kingdom of God is the most important doctrine in all of the, in all of the Bible. We believe that the kingdom of God is what the people of God are a part of, right? It's, it's the Old Testament Zion. It's where we dwell. And we believe that Jesus is bringing his kingdom to the earth. And as he does this, we want to be a part of what he's doing. We want to be a part of what he is doing. And so as, God kingdom, as God's kingdom comes to the earth, we want to be a part of that so that the kingdom of God would come through the gospel. Um, kingdom of God would come through, uh, yeah, through the gospel, being active in every neighborhood in the West Valley. So if you've got a home, we're looking to open that beast up. If you've got a place where you live, want your street, you to think as individuals, part of Redemption Peoria, what does it mean to be uh, active with the gospel that the kingdom of God would come to your very street? The way that you work, the way that you neighbor, the way that you play, the way that you raise your kids, all of it. That the gospel would be active in every neighborhood in the West Valley. 
Now, we're not the only answer to that. We feel like God is using other churches, but, but, but our, our hope in being a part of that is there in our mission state or in our vision statement. So how do we want to do that continually? So that, that's our vision. This is our uh, mission. So in light of the fact that the local church is the only hope to accomplish our vision, therefore we believe it is our responsibility, when I say our responsibility as a church leadership, to multiply healthy disciples and leaders who are sent to do the work of the ministry. This is huge, right? Because if you want to come to us and say, well, what are you guys doing for outreach? I'm going, what are you doing for outreach, bro? Because it's you. It's you. We don't have right now some plan to do some big outreach in some city. No, no, no. Where you are, Redemption Peoria is. Wherever you're going, the way you raise your kids, the way that you neighbor, the way that you work, wherever you are there, hear this. We want to help you do the work of the ministry. Sean Myers is not doing all the work of the ministry. My job, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I got it off easy. I get to hang out with you all day. You got to go hang out with the sinners, okay? I don't know why I said that. Okay? So, so, so how do we do this? If that's what we're doing, it's, let's wrap this up because I'm... I'm we're running out of time here. How do we do this? If you've been with us long enough, we've always used three buckets. We're stupid simple. If you're, if you're new to Redemption Fury Up, we don't have a lot of things. We've always had three buckets, and we've decided we want to do a four-bucket system. So let me explain what it is. The first thing that we do to equip you to do the work of the ministry is Sundays. We feel like gathering here together, singing together, worshiping together, sitting under the word together is formative right? And so even you, if you have kids, you're going to pick up your kids today. And as they come out, they're going through the same stuff that we are together as a church. They're not being taught some crazy felt board stuff though. I would love to get some felt board summer, but regardless, they're, 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 they're being taught the same thing that we are. They're being formed in the same way that we are because together as families, individuals, together, collectively, we're telling the story of God. And this is a great formative time. So we worship, we baptize, we do all of this on Sundays. That's one bucket that we focus on. The next bucket that we focus on is redemption communities. So something that you're probably aware of if you've been coming any amount of time is we put a ton of equity, ton of effort, a ton of um, emotion in, uh, finances into our communities. We believe that we want you to be in a room with people not like you. We want you to be formed like them. And so living rooms are going to be where that happens. So as you see that, the second bucket is RCs. And then the last one, which I'm not going to get into currently, and I want to um, even, you can leave that up there, but RCs, just so you're aware, the reason I'm not honing in now, it's so important to us that next week we're going to spend the entire Sunday talking about redemption community. Okay, so just be aware of that. Um, The last one is leadership development. I'm not going to go into this, but ultimately, um, leadership development is um, a huge part of making our other buckets successful. We just, we, if you come here and you've got all kinds of gifts, right, and you've led maybe a church of a thousand before, that's awesome, bro. Relax, breathe, and make sure you understand redemption culture is not about the way of the dragon, about uh, being powerful, but, but we take the way of the lamb, that we submit, that we, we're gentle, that you'd understand that. And so we want to make sure that we are um, getting culture on people as they come to Redemption Peoria. If you have questions about leader development, um, feel free to come up and talk to me afterwards. So here's what we found. Ah, um, oh, you, you totally took my thunder there. Okay. Um, Very good. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Sundays, RC's leadership development. Here's what we saw. We, we really love Sundays and we love communities. And, and what we saw is um, as we dove into Sunday mornings, we recognize there, wants, there needs to be a conversation that needs to be had. But there's also certain things we really want to hone in on for a couple weeks. And Sunday hasn't really been the time for that. Well, maybe it's time for communities. But even in communities, if you've been in community long enough, you know there's a rhythm to communities that we're not just going to spend five weeks on a certain topic. We serve in our communities. We do accountability in our communities. It's different. We felt like there was a gap, that there were moments that we need to take as a church to offer for all of us together. And we've done a little bit about this, but this is going to be another big bucket. We want to do theological education. 
So for example, um, starting in the month of October, we're going to do five weeks on what is marriage. How do we operate? What does that mean? Singles, I didn't leave you out because starting in November, we're going to have five weeks on what does it mean to be single. Uh, Going into next year, we want to have a class on film. How do you watch film? What does that mean? Uh, We want to do a class on the doctrines of grace. We're going to be in Ephesians. So what does the word predestination mean? What do we do with that? So we feel like theologically we want to hone in on certain issues. And that, that, that is our four big buckets, okay? Four big buckets in how we operate. It's really simple, man. That, that's how we want to do it. That's how we're going to lay it out. Now, um, I, want you to ma- I want you to be aware of something. Um, um, up to this point, as uh, we approach 700 people, um, up to this point, we've had two full-time people and two part-time people. And just so you kind of understand parameters, if you're not church to use the church world, um, there's a church that's a little smaller than us and has five full-time people and eight part-time people, okay? So we're on the low end of staff. Um, and so we wanted to identify somebody that we feel like would be really good to help, um, not just um, come in the areas of communities, which is what she will do, not just come into the areas of, of Sunday mornings and overseas Sunday mornings, which she will do, but also we needed like an executive guy to be able to form one, all the things I'm terrible at that I explained. Um, but furthermore, there's this, this thing as we grow that, that somebody that has the vision to be able to see those, those holes. And we feel like John Demeter, who's an elder currently, would be a great fit for that. And so we, we've brought, as of the month of August, brought John Demeter on a full-time staff, and he's going to be in an executive pastor role, right? Um, and so if you have questions about that, you can feel free to, to ask again afterwards. Um, but, but he's going to come up next week for a little bit and uh, walk us through some of his vision for RCs and, and some of the things that we're going to be changing, which I'm excited for, okay? It's a weird way to end. Um, I'm going to pray, um, but here's, here's what I'm going to say so I can put pressure on Josh Miles. Josh, where's that? I don't know where your song is, but whatever. Um, there's a song that we're going to sing at the end of today, and it's intentional, okay? Um, and as we sing the song, I want you to know the pass of it. Before we ever started Redemption Peoria, we were gathering at the, the, in the backyard of uh, the Demeter home. And uh, Candace and I were on our way back from California, and Josh Miles, who him and I were in conversation, was going to lead us in some songs. And he brought up this song by King's Kaleidoscope uh, called All Glory Be to Christ. And he started to tell, me, tell it to me, and I was like, dude, I don't know, that sounds terrible. Um, not like All Glory Being to Christ is terrible, but I just like, no one's going to know that song, no one's going to whatever. So he sends me a link to it, and I listen to it, and I'm like, <laughs> right? I'm just weeping. I'm trying to like hold it together with Candace in the passenger seat. Um, we sing this song, and I want you to know, if you're new to Redemption Peoria, this song has become our mantra. That all glory, I, man, hear me. Hear me when I say this. In 200 years, nobody is going to know who we are. Nobody's going to know Redemption Peoria. We're, we're going to be off the map. And if we don't have our... Um, like all of our eggs in the basket of it being about Jesus Christ, we're going to miss this thing. If you think I'm laying out four buckets and vision and mission so that we can all rally together to beat our chest and be a big church, you do not understand what we're all about. Hear me. Ain't nobody going to know who we are. Redemption Peoria is not the goal here, but the glory of Jesus Christ being on display through his people. Man, that's a beautiful thing. That's our goal. So we'll finish our time together with that so you know and you're aware. Let me pray for you. Josh is already probably upset that I've gone over, so let me pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. As we read First Peter, our hearts were formed to the idea that um, we are a, um, a nation, a subculture, a holy nation that um, lives amongst people who are perishing, if we were to put it bluntly. And um, we believe that, Jesus, you've given us as the church the way 
the path uh, to joy, to ultimate joy, to ultimate fulfillment. And we're doing that together. And so our prayer together would be that as we continue to be formed as a body, that if these mantles are right, that as we grow, we would not be too big for our britches and think we're awesome because of it, but it's a mantle you've given us. That as we, um, we are nomadic, we wouldn't be scared, but we would get comfortable in being uncomfortable. That ultimately we would give, not just what's in our wallet at the time, but we would give sacrificially. I'm so glad, Jesus, that we are following you. I'm so glad this is ultimately about you, that you've reminded us even as a church in the first part of the year that it's not about Sean Myers, that there's not about Josh Miles. It's not about the way that we do Sunday mornings, but man, ultimately this, this stuff's about you. What we're doing right now is about you. Our vision, our mission, the four buckets, they are about you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray.